grows stronger. Soon we shall accomplish what we have attempted for years. He was slinging pawns at a B&B when he had an epiphany. A nigga part in about time too about not playing D&D. It was free for all and I heard him say he bought my borderlands. But just sit back and let Spencer do his trick cause you're incapable AMs. Hello and welcome to Keep Off the Borderlands. My name's Spencer, aka Freethrall, and I had quite a number of responses to the previous episode. So, what I'm going to do to maintain the illusion of focus and coherence, I'll be sharing some of those messages in a subsequent episode. But before we get into that, in the last episode, I was talking about Casting the Runes, occult investigations in the world of M.R. James by Paul Sinjin McIntosh. Now, I mentioned that I read a review of it by Pookie on his Our Liar Reviews blog. Now, I said I was going to put a link to that in the description, but I searched through the blog site and I could not find the review anywhere. I've definitely read a review of it, and it was a glowing review, and I guess that's what's important. But, um, I don't know, I'm starting to feel like I'm going a bit crazy. So much for my skills as an investigator. Hey, Spencer Jason here. I got a package. Let's see what it is. Open it up. It's from something called Lightning Source. So the first thing I pulled out of the box is a book called Retune. A Folded Path book by Brandish Gilhelm. This is the Choose Your Own Adventure book for Altered State from Runehammer Games for that Cyberpunk ICRPG game. So you have to order, you can't get that in PDF. You have to order a hard copy of that. I think you can get it from Amazon or from DriveThru. The second book is from The Design Mechanism and it is indeed Casting the Runes. So who knows? You still looking for a first game to GM? Or did you GM without me? Regardless, maybe we can do something with this because Casting the Runes looks pretty neat. Talk to you later. Jason Connolly of Nerds RPG Variety Cast there with a little cheeky unboxing. Something there from Brandish Gilhelm of Runehammer Games, also known as Hankering for an Owl. And there'll be a little more about him as for um, Casting the Runes being my first game to GM, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure how I feel about kicking off my GM career with a mystery game. But um, it is a nice, simple system from what I can make out. Um, it's the gumshoe system. So we'll see. But I am still leaning towards games like Into the Odd or Nave just because I want to, you know, make things as easy as possible for me. But, um, you know, it could be a candidate. But interesting to hear that you picked it up, Jason. And, uh, yeah, thanks very much for sharing that. 
I've just been watching a new video from Runehammer, hankering for a nail, talking about why he has completely fallen head over heels for OSE. And it's a really, really interesting video. And, uh, you know, he probably says some things that may upset some viewers. But, um, you know, hankering doesn't do what he does to be liked. He does what he does to get people feeling passionate about their hobby, whether they agree with him or not. I think that's that's where his talent lies. And, um, yeah, it's just really, really interesting observations from someone who has previously steered away from OSR, certainly as a label, and that whole old-school idea. And... Um, he addresses that. I just really enjoyed watching it. And well worth checking out, if you don't mind, the odd strong opinion or two. Hey Spencer, this is Rob, also known as Minion. Thank you so much for your Lost in Immersion episode. Um, I'd forgotten to mention you on my podcast um, with respect to the gate, the uh, the playtest actually, so I need to add you in now, so I'm glad I listened to this. Um, it wasn't really so much about the players anyway, uh, I was looking more at the, the rules uh, uh, how of Darren's um, uh, Dix game. But um, anyway, yeah, it was absolutely wonderful playing with you uh, and also um, Dave Aldridge uh, finally managed to manage to sort out a good time uh, between us and I do appreciate everybody doing that uh, given that I'm on Japanese time and uh, it's not the easiest I'm not the easiest person to uh, manage uh, UK times with anyway regarding uh, immersion and and uh, game style and everything else that you mentioned said uh, I pretty much agree I think um a lot of my tastes seem to coincide very much with yours, um, which is, I suppose, a natural thing, isn't it? Given that I spend a lot of time listening to your podcasts and the podcasts of other people that whose games that I, game styles or um, preferred uh, systems uh, coincide with mine. So there you go. But um, I don't think it's a waste of time mentioning things about, um, uh, mentioning the obvious, stating the obvious, because of, often it's, not obvious to state the obvious if that makes any sense um i'm referring of course to your comment uh about the things that you find easiest easiest to immerse yourself in are the things that you enjoy the most concerning time i totally agree i find that um old school essentials as i'm playing it now um does focus on things like retainers and and shopping the the equipment Everything in everything that that's uh, time consuming is actually really important to the game, um, and it's one of the reasons I really like the game. But at the same time, uh, like you, I don't like I don't wish to be online um, role playing for much more than three hours. Uh, prefer two hours I find very comfortable, which is the system, the length of the uh, game that I'm doing for the Baromies uh, Old School Essentials uh, campaign campaign that I'm running. 
Um, but it's easy to go over time uh, unless you focus on like uh, what what are we trying to achieve today and keep um, shopping offline if possible. Anyway, cheers, man. Take care. That was Menyon, a.k.a. Rob from Confessions of a Wee Timorous Bushy. And um, yeah, as I said last in the last episode, it really was uh, great to be able to play with Rob and Dave Aldridge in Arfed's uh, playtest of decks. Yeah, you mentioned time management there. I, I I was thinking again about the uh, what I said about the preference of a two-hour session. I think that may be cutting it a little bit fine. I've been able to play in uh, Andy Goodman's Call of Cthulhu games have been two-hour sessions, but that is that's an ongoing thing with taken about four or five sessions to do what essentially I think designed as one shots but we were working to his time constraints and that's worked out really well for for me anyway um, the OSE game that I'm occasionally able to play in does tend to run to around the three and a half hour mark and that is pushing it a little bit too far for me so I've kind of I've struggled to get involved in that recently especially now I've moved to playing in a different room with not quite as comfortable a chair so I should really address that but um, yeah even so beyond three hours is um, yeah is is certainly a struggle for me but um, as for immersion and stating the obvious yes it's worth stating the obvious sometimes because it might be obvious to someone like me uh, but I have found that quite often I'll make an observation which I feel is obvious to people more familiar with games to to find that maybe they hadn't considered a particular point because maybe due to their familiarity with the hobby in general and me kind of as a born-again newcomer stating what I believe to be obvious maybe not all that obvious at all so i guess yeah it's it's always worth uh, putting it out there as for what i was saying about the osc game and the um the hirelings and the shopping at the beginning that is very much something that could quite easily be done online or at least sped up a little i guess perhaps and that's something that um ian who actually plays in those sessions Ian is on the Audio Dungeon Discord as uh, Urkham brand, I think. And uh, he raised that point there about doing this stuff online. Which I think was how Dave Aldridge initially started doing it. He put up the available hirelings before the session. And um, also he tried to address the shopping with this idea of, uh, well, we were... um, operating out of the halfling town of Boo and the halflings had this kind of almost like a racket going on where they would sell adventuring kits that you would kind of you'd have to purchase the whole bundle as it were and then you would pay to top that up and have it maintained I thought that worked out really well but I think that may have fallen by the wayside since he stepped away from running the sessions. 
But thanks very much for those calls, Rob. And um, I think next up, I've got a message from the creator of Dex, Arfed Darren Green. Arfed here. I heard recently in your podcast that you'd quite enjoyed our little session um, that we ran at the weekend on my Dex new system. I'm glad that you you found that the the sort of the deck building or deck management was interesting. Um, that's exactly what I'm going for. The game, something new, something different, something a bit more tactical, maybe, and making some more uh, decisions during gameplay, during combat, etc. But anyway, it, it sounded like you enjoyed it. Unfortunately, we didn't have much time to chat after the game because uh, we run over a little bit. But yeah, it was great to hear some sort of positive feedback and uh, would love to hear more of what you thought and if you ever wanted to have a a further chat then uh, please let me know thanks a lot bye thank you Arfed and um, I have to say it was a a real pleasure to be able to be involved in that play test Um, I think it's it's a long time since we've played in a game together and um, yeah it was great to be able to be in a game finally that you were running and um, again, it's a pleasure to be able to talk about a game that is genuinely innovative. Innovative? Innovative. <laughs> I said that right, didn't I? And, um, well, here's me talking about it a little bit more. So I'm going to speak a little bit more about Arfed's DEX system. That's D-E-X. Arfed, also known as Darren Green, has produced this game um, where the core concept is that players use a deck of cards numbered 1 to 20 rather than rolling a D20. Primarily, it operates as a D20 system but you've got this added element of managing a deck. So your deck is shuffled, so you don't know what cards are going to come out when you draw them. Now, as you draw these cards, you you are laying them face up on the table, so essentially you can see which cards you've used and therefore determine what's left in the deck. And that's important because at the end of your turn you can reshuffle those spent cards back into the deck so if you've drawn some really high cards then it's probably a good idea to put those back in the deck however if it's a bit of a mixed bag or you've got a lot of low numbers then it's probably best to leave them there and just continue on with the remaining deck And you can do that right up until you've spent the entire deck. At which point you reshuffle all the cards and start again. And Darren explained that um, one of the the ideas behind using a deck of cards as opposed to rolling a d20 was to give players more feeling of control and more a sense that they were managing outcomes to a certain extent obviously you've still got the random element of the cards but unlike a dice a deck of cards has a memory 
and this was to kind of combat that, you know, I'm sure we've all had that game where you can't roll for toffee. Everything you do fails, and depending on what system you're playing, that can end up being a very frustrating session for the player. And this system pretty much guarantees that whatever happens, at least half of your actions, roughly speaking, are going to be successful. And you can obviously improve those chances by choosing when to reset your deck. And, um, yeah, it worked really, really well. Uh, As a player, you've got four stats. Well, actually, let's have a look. Um... Oh, I've only I've only printed out the uh, player deck explanation, but um, I believe the stats are strength, dex, stamina, possibly or constitution, and mind. And what you do is each of those are zero, and you get to allocate one to a stat and minus one to another stat. Now, what that does is the one means you. Um, Whenever you're utilising that stat, you're playing advantage, which means you get the choice of taking one or two cards. If your first card's not great, you can take a second card. And if you perform an action using the stat that has a minus one, you have to take two cards and use the lowest. And what's interesting there is that even though your stats, you're working with very low numbers, you know, a very limited range of one or minus one, they have a huge impact on how things play out during the game, or at least they can have a huge impact. I mean, I put my minus one in mind, which is the stat used for initiative. And obviously, yeah, that had a big impact on me because it meant that a lot of the time I was failing initiative. Now, I did I did have a good read through the rules before the play test, but as, um, you know, as I've said before, it's very difficult for me to get my head around some things, and playing is always the best way to learn for me. I've got to say, it is very, very intuitive, and I, I did wonder whether, you know, having a deck of cards to play around with rather than rolling a dice might slow things down a little perhaps but that was not the case in fact if anything you know once you got into the swing of it i feel it 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 works very quickly combat was pretty fast and um yeah yeah i didn't think um the game was held up at all by using cards instead of dice um, so, a little more about the character creation. Once you've uh, decided what you're going to do with your stats, you can then choose, I think, three special abilities. These are all very flavorful. I chose Luck, which allowed me to draw an extra card in any situation that wasn't part of combat. I had um, Giant Killer, which I think reduced the opponent's fighting skill by two if they were a higher level than me or something sorry a bit fuzzy on that one and nimble which gave me a plus three on all 
dex saving throws, which, yeah, worked out really well. Now, there are three fighting styles to choose from. Wild, balanced, and cautious. And they all had a particular effect, which escaped me for the moment. But just all these little things that can add to the flavour of your character. Um, As far as encounters were concerned, what was interesting there was that certain creatures had special kinds of attacks, which meant adding a card into everyone's deck while you were fighting the creature. And if you you pulled the card up, it triggered that special attack, which was really interesting. And then once once the combat's over, those cards are then removed from your deck. Also, with things like magic items, these operate as just adding additional cards into your deck. And all the time you've got those items, they remain in your deck. Well, let's just say a little bit about the playtest itself. Arfed run us through a little scenario, a bunch of encounters, one of which I spoke about in the previous episode where I was stuck on a rope bridge being attacked by these giant flying eyeball creatures that was very... I I described it as kind of a Harryhausen moment because that's what I pictured in my mind. Um, My character build was kind of inspired by Jack the Giant Killer, which um, was a 60s film I watched. Was it 60s? Not Harryhausen, but very similar. Stop-motion animation... It came out just after the uh, Seventh Voyage of Sinbad and, um, in fact, it had a few cast members from that, I believe. Slightly smaller budget, but a real good, fun film. Maybe not up there with the Sinbad movies and Jason and the Argonauts and stuff, but it's not too far behind them. And I was actually reminded of that by um, Safer Fantasy Crafting. I think he called in to... Jason Connolly's Nerds RPG variety cast. I'm pretty sure he called in there anyway. And um, I thought I hadn't seen that in years. Certainly hadn't seen it since I was a kid. So I managed to uh, find a copy of that. It was on YouTube actually. I watched it on YouTube. And uh, yeah, that was good fun. And anyway, that inspired my character build. I thought I'll make a, a young farm boy who was out looking for adventure, basically. And I was playing with um, Dave Aldridge, Deeper Centile, who I haven't actually spoken to in a long time because of his new job and having to move. He's been very much tied up in that. So it was good to get a game in with Dave. He, he made basically a wizard character build. And Menion, a.k.a. Rob, from Confessions of a Wee Timorous Bushy, had made a rogue-like character. And, um, yeah, I'd never played with Rob before, and that was great fun. Arfed was a great GM, really knew his stuff, and uh, a fine GM he was too, and a really, really enjoyable session. Unfortunately, I had a lot of technical difficulties at the beginning. He, he was using something called Tabletopia, and it had all the tables set up. And for some reason... My browser kept telling me that the firewall was stopping me from accessing the page. So I tried disabling the firewall 
still got the same message. Tried using a different browser, still got the same message. So I don't know what was going on there. Fortunately, Arfed was able to display it through the Google Meet that we were using and basically just had to uh, turn my cards over for me and kindly followed my instructions. And it all worked out pretty well. No, I don't want to. I don't want to underplay what Arfed was doing as a GM, but it struck me that it wouldn't take a lot of tweaking to possibly have a GMless variation on this game, because you know once you've set everyone up and things are being determined by the turn of cards, I'm not sure how you go about doing that, but it was just an impression I got, maybe just the fact that Arfed makes the job look very easy. But I was extremely impressed with how everything worked. So, yeah, I mean, if anyone's interested in playing this or taking a look at the rules, I suggest contacting Arfed on the Audio Dungeon Discord. And, uh, yeah, I'd just like to say thanks again, Arfed, for running that game for us. Really, really enjoyed that. Cheers. And uh, here's just one last message from Goblin's Henchman. I was sitting one evening thinking about the Year Zero engine, um, the system that's used in the majority of free league games. And I have both Alien and Verson. I know recently uh, Goblin's Henchman was talking about dice pools and I don't think he was particularly familiar with them. Verson uses D6 dice pools with sixes being successes. So you're just looking for the sixes in a pool. Generally, I think you're rolling about five dice at a time. And I was trying to think about the probabilities of rolling a six, how that would increase with the size of the pool. And I don't know, with the whole idea of dice rolls being independent but what I mean is that you know one roll of a dice is not influenced by another roll of a dice meaning that you know you roll a d6 you get a one in six chance of success you roll that d6 again you've still got a one in six chance of success and I, I wondered how that would operate when you're rolling a pool of d6s because it certainly doesn't seem intuitive to me how that would actually work. I thought I would check in with Mr. Henchman to see what he thought about the problem. Hi Spencer, Goblin's Henchman here. So when it comes to probability, I'm, I'm more of a plodder than an expert, but um, if I understand your question right, you're asking me, What's the chance of getting at least one six when rolling a, a pool of d6s? Now, of course, getting one d6, uh, getting one is possible, but you get you could get two sixes or three sixes, so that makes it slightly more complicated. So if you just want to work out the chance of getting at least one six, the best way of doing it 
is to do the reverse, which is to say, what's the probability of getting no sixes? And that's five and six. So five and six, and then if you want to do two, two using two d six, that's five and six times five and six. And obviously five d six that'd be five and six times five and six five times. Hope that made sense. <laughs> Cheers. The uh, dangers of trying to get a message into one minute. So going back to your example of 5d6, if you wanted to work that out of getting at least 1d6, you could do 5 divided by 6 times 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 5 divided by 6. And that comes out to about to be about 40%. Now, of course, that's the, the chance of getting no 6s. So the inverse of that of getting a6 would be about 60%. Um, actually, it's I'm surprised how uh, weak the trend is. I would have thought it would have been stronger. I think by the looks of it, you've got to get up to like 15 D6s before you've only got like 5% chance of not getting a D6, which is, you know, the same as a 1 on a D20, which is quite surprising. I think Ray Otis did some numbers to do with D6 when he did a mythic generator, which you could possibly look at. Anyway, I hope that made sense. Thank you, Goblin's Henchman. Now, I think you made a pretty good job of that, considering how um, complicated the problem actually is. I received um, some further information from Goblin's henchmen in the form of a few emails, which helped to explain uh, exactly what we're dealing with here. And, uh, and let me just try and uh, explain the probabilities of rolling a single six in a D6 dice pool. Now, I don't know about you, but I find thinking about this in terms of percentages to be a little more intuitive. And Goblin's henchman kindly obliged by um, giving me the information in that format. So, what are we looking at? To keep things as simple as possible, I'm just going to be rounding up these figures to whole percentages. So, the odds of getting a six rolling 1d6 is 17%. Now, add an additional d6, the odds of rolling a 6 are 31%. 3 dice is 42%, 4 dice is 52%, and 5 dice is 60%. With 6 dice, you're looking at a 67% chance. 7 dice, you're looking at 72%. 8 dice, 77%, 9 dice 81%, 10 dice 84%, 11 dice 87, 12 dice 89, 13 dice 91, 14 dice 92, and it, and it proceeds like that basically. Those increments get smaller and smaller the further you go up. Obviously you're never going to reach 100% because no matter how improbable it might sound, there's always a possibility that no matter what number of dice you roll, you are not guaranteed getting a six. So I hope that kind of uh, shed some light on the problem. I certainly found it an interesting exercise trying to wrap my head around that anyway. But thanks again, Goblin's Henchman. Well, that's about enough from me, I think. Thank you very much for listening. 
Thank you so much for your calls. If you want to leave me a message, please contact me via the anchor link in the description. You can always email me or leave me an audio message at spencer.freeforall at gmail.com. There's a Facebook page for Keep Off the Borderlands. You can find me on Twitter and MeWe on the Audio Dungeon Discord and various other places on Discord as Free Thrall. I'd also like to thank TJ Drennan for the wonderful music he provides. And it just remains for me to say, take it away, TJ. Warning, if celebrating the sound of dice hitting the table and pondering the meaning of the many acronyms within your player's handbook doesn't cure that burning sensation, please see your doctor.